Welcome again to Bikes, Burpees, and Backhands. Our uh, guest host this week is Mr. Bill Patton. Uh, I will be playing the first part of our uh, chat over high school tennis. Bill is the author of a bestseller, The Art of Coaching High School Tennis. You can see it and many of his books. Uh, visual training, top five strategies for tactics for winning tennis, all on Amazon. Uh, you, as you also know, you can go to Amazon, uh, smile.amazon.com, and you can also help out Bike Friendly Atlanta by using us as a, uh, a nonprofit help. We get a small percentage of that. Uh, the proceeds go to Bike Friendly Atlanta. I'm now going to play... Uh, the first 17 minutes of our interview. Uh, there will be at least two more parts uh, to follow in the next couple of days. I hope you all enjoy it. If you've got any questions, please feel free to email us at uh, bikes, burpees, backhands. That's all, uh, no commas in there, at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to get back to you. You can also click on Bill's uh, name on Amazon, and it will give you a host of information about Bill, uh, what a great author, great uh, person to have on our podcast, and hope you can share this with a lot of your parents uh, and kids that are playing high school tennis. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Yesterday, Mr. Bill Patton, Bill is a, well, if I went down the credentials, it would be an hour, a two-hour show, more or less, not just, you know, hopefully a 30, 45-minute one. Um, Bill's the executive director of the USTA Tennis Coach. Owner, CEO, and founder at Z37 Tennis. Uh, he studied uh, at National University. Um, studied industrial psychology at California State University at East Bay. Um, I've listened to his podcast or his uh, infamous travels home from uh, team his high school team coachings many a time oh, and uh, okay. chimed in a few times. So awesome. that's how we kind of got started. Uh, me being a tennis professional and him too. I'm sure we, we share a lot of the same uh, ideas or uh, we cross a lot of the same paths with parents, with kids, uh, things of that sort uh, quite often. Uh, Bill, you got anything you want to add to what I just said so far? Well, one of, I just wanted to make one clarification. It's USA Tennis Coach is which I'm the executive director, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the number one thing is that I've been faking it for a long time, and people have been taken in, and um, it's working. So sure. if it works for me, it can work for you too. Absolutely. Uh, we all do our fair amount of uh, uh, you know, talking our way through things, uh, taking it off the cuff. You know, we, 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 we take and roll punches like we do as tennis players. I mean, a lot of times it's what you're given and how you – uh, look at that situation and move with it and uh, try to help people get better. Uh, I've been approached over, oh my gosh, over the past 10 years easily. I've been coaching junior tennis for 30 plus years with high performance and all the way down to Munchkins. 
Uh, we're going to dive right into some of these questions that some of these parents and coaches have also sent me. Uh, if you've got any format, Bill, you want to throw around. Uh, I saw the questions. I love them. Let's roll, man. All right. Number one, guidelines, general ways that a coach, high school coach, we're dominantly talking about here, uh, chooses the varsity and or JV teams. What do you see in your work? Uh, in, well, I mean, I, I reflect on my mistakes. So um, <clears throat> early on when I first started coaching, I really didn't have a criteria for how I was selecting my team. So then I was kind of beholden to um, selecting people just purely on results. And, um, you know, I learned not to do that. I learned to create criteria that included attitude, um, you know, coachability, um, and, and in some cases, pure athletic ability, because you might have somebody who's a, an intermediate tennis player now, and, uh, you know, they're just barely losing to another inter intermediate, but then you can see that they, they have a huge upside. So cutting the kid with the huge athletic upside is, um, not necessarily the greatest idea. Um, probably the most, one of the most painful experiences of coaching came early on when um, I was at a school that really only had 12 kids on the team. So number 13 was just out of luck because of court space. So, uh, so we had a pretty extensive tryout system. And one thing I didn't realize was that almost all the girls on the team <clears throat> were sabotaging the more talented player. They were giving her the stink eye. They were intimidating her in every way they possibly could. And so the lesser player actually won the pivotal match that helped her get on the team. And I was kind of stuck with this girl. She didn't even really want to play tennis, really. She just wanted to be with her friends, which is, which there's nothing wrong with that per se. But the other girl was very motivated, wanted to become a good player, got overwhelmed by the situation and sort of choked that match. But she had a lot of help choking. So, I mean, if I had been armed with a criteria, then I would have easily picked the the girl that didn't win. Sure. So, uh, so I would say, so in general, I would say, come up, come up with a criteria that has five or six or seven points to it that that are you know what you want to see in an athlete, and you know, and then obviously how well they play should be fifty to seventy percent of it. But, you know, we need these other characteristics, like, you know, how, how teachable are they? What, are, you know, are, are they helpful? Are, you know, do some, they... Some kids handle pressure a lot different than others. Yeah. And, and things like that. So, I mean, all that, like you said, that enters the picture where, uh, you know, it's not just who beat two. And like you said, with the season being usually, I don't know about out in your area, but here in, in Georgia, our season just started a couple of weeks ago, and it'll run all the way through... Um, shoot, probably the middle to the end of April, maybe some playoff matches and stayed after that. Or you could go easily go to the first week of May. Um, you know, you are looking for some players to get better. Like you said, some of the athletic people start coming around, you know, with yeah. play. That, that definitely makes it makes a difference. For sure. Um, do you, um, as your, uh, so do you use any format of playing or, or uh, match play to start? Okay, with? yeah, that's okay. Good. I we should get into that part. Um, so, 
generally what I'll do is I'll is I'll take how many ever spots there are for singles. And in Northern California, there are four singles players. So then I'll ask the I'll ask the team how many of you would like to vie for a for a single spot, you know. And so I'll take you know up to eight challengers for the four spots. And the first thing I do is I put them in a round robin of ten point tiebreakers, um, and that that's really good because it comes you get every point recorded, you know, because a six one set could actually be closer than a six three set. You know, because sure. um, sure. if everything comes down to deuce points and whatnot, six one could be vitally close, and six three could be a total blowout where the where there's no the one player didn't really have any chance at breaking and then got broken twice. So, right. anyway, so recording every point uh, gives you a lot more of an early indication who you got. So I'll start with that, and then I'll align the eight players, or maybe it's nine or whatever. And then I do this thing called bowling tournament. Because I don't know if you remember the old bowling tournaments where number eight would play seven, and then the sure. winner of that would play six. And if you, you were eight and you won seven straight, then you could win the tournament, right? Sure. Not likely, not likely. Yeah. But, it, you know, it got exciting if somebody rolled off, you know, two or three or four in a row and sure. created a lot of excitement. So what I do, so, for example, after, the, after that first round, then I'll have one play two, Three play four, five play six, seven play eight. So so we get challenge matches. And sure. then, you know, that'll be a set or two full sets or whatever time allows. Right. And then when that's over, then one one um one will take a break. Whoever the one is will take a break. Sure. And sure. so will eight. Um but what will happen then is the new two will play three, right? Four will play five, right? Six yeah, will play seven, yeah. and then yeah. and then you get a new a new thing, and then I'll do that until I don't see any movement. So, sure. I mean, after two or three or four rounds of that, there's no more movement, and you start to see where your um, where your where things stack up. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. if somebody's winning, you know, easily against another player, then you're not going to want to do that again right away. Um, the tricky part comes when you get these matchup problems where you have three people who can each each beat each other. Sure. So uh, there was a time when Agassi had beaten Becker five straight times, who had beaten Courier five straight times, who had beaten um, uh, Agassi five straight times, right? And because right. it was the matchups, so. So you can have these anomaly uh, situations where three different people can beat each other because of the matchups. So what I usually do there is I will take the three and I will pull out the older player and I will give assign them the higher position and then the other two can battle out that last spot and whoever wins that. Um, so it helps solve that conundrum because otherwise then you're just going to have endless challenge matches of matchups and it just, it's a waste of time. Right. Uh, uh, do you normally, when you, let's say, you know, for instance, you know, you come out of winter break and here that's, you know, the end of, end of December and we come back in January, do you announce it to the school that, you know, because usually it's February, first, first week of February or last week of January, they start practicing, they start play like the second week of February. So there's a very small time frame there to get things organized. Do you, 
announce it to the school that tryouts are starting and anybody want to come to meeting, come to meeting at next day? Or is that already pretty much it's by the fall? That's usually decided already by the athletic program. So usually my, the athletic director is telling me how they do it. Um, and so I just go along with it. You know, I go to sometimes I go to schools that are not very well organized, and then I have to do what I'm going to do. So generally, it's a good, really good idea to have a meeting ahead of time because you can scare kids off that way. Well, sure. Well, yeah, so, you know, okay, here's here's a good one. This is a good story. So, um, I came on at a school that had tons of ranked juniors, and and I guess they got excited about me as the coach, which was fun. But 71 kids came out to the meeting, right? And I was planning on keeping 24. Well, <laughs> it's a good thing that I had I had outlined everything that was going to happen. And, and then, you know, I kind of made it sound even harder than it might have really been. And so 16 people cut themselves that day. And, and you know, bless them. I, you know, thank you. Thanks for saving me a lot of work. I mean, you knew you didn't want to do all that work. So thanks for not coming out. And, you know, I mean, with 55 kids and, and I'm only keeping 24, I mean, I had to cut 11, ki 11 kids the first day. You know, I was cutting, cutting tons of kids. So... Um, depending on where I'm at, I'm either a no cut coach or I'm a cut coach based on what, what does my facility hold? I mean, cause my, my big thing is quality over quantity, but if I have enough space to fit everybody and, and, um, I have enough resources to keep everybody engaged to some degree, or they, the kids have good attitudes and they can wait their turn, then I'll take them all. So, right. yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I just don't want I just don't want ne'er do wells out there. I mean, I don't want to have kids that are going to come and be a disruption. Sure, water watering down the system just because their friends out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It depends a lot on your facility and what time wise you've got. Uh, do most of the schools out there do they pay the coach themselves? Is it paid through an alumni association? Is it's a school stipend, yeah. It's part of the teacher's contract that coaches get X amount. So, um, yeah, it's California. is It's a stipend. So, yeah. Do um, when let's say, for instance, Bill, let's say I have a daughter and she's coming to your school and she comes out to play, but she goes to, you know, around here we have a lot of. I'm sure there are tons in California too. Academies uh, that you know run year round. Uh, and they come in, does, do coaches out there uh, insist, but you get what I'm saying? Um, do they say, hey, you know, Bill say, hey, Dave, your daughter's got a better chance of making the team if she comes over here and gets some lessons on the side of there, but knowing that she comes somewhere else. That, yeah. I, mean, I, but. I In 30 years of coaching, I've made three exceptions to my everybody has to be at my practice um, policy. And two of those worked out really well, and the other one was just an absolute nightmare. So um, it's just I don't begrudge it other people for their way of doing it. I mean, I know many, many coaches will have a set policy of, say, Friday is – is optional so if you want to go have a private lesson with your coach on friday do it whatever right, right? um 
I am generally, I'm too much of a control freak and, um, and also very much, uh, wanting, you know, fully able to do as good or a better job than, than their private coach. So, um, yeah, that might not sound, that, that might sound a little arrogant, but I don't care, you know? So I, I'm, I'm well, not only that, but they have to learn my program. I mean, it's it takes time. I my the, my, my coaching's pretty unique, and then sure. but but if they want to take private lessons, yeah, if they want to take private lessons on their time, that's fine. I don't care, and I would love to uh, collaborate with their coach and find out you know what are they teaching so that I'm not you know uh, intentionally or unintentionally confusing them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end result, to me. It's all about the kid. Is the kid getting better? Are they having fun? Right. You know, is it, are they adhering to the team atmosphere? And if they are, it sounds to me like a win-win all the way around. Because to me, at this age, the less you confuse the kids, the better the kid's got a chance of coming out the other end a better kid. Yeah, know? for sure. Uh, okay, I guess we'll move on from the, uh, you know, the um, getting the team together and all that. Okay, so you've done your bowling. You've done your, <laughs> yeah, Should we get into here. doubles? Should we get into the, the double sure, selection? Because I think absolutely. that's... So I have a fun thing that I do with doubles that has been very effective for me um, because so you get some surprising results. Uh, one thing that I do is I take... I'll take all the kids who I think are going to be doubles players, and I might even actually throw in one of the top singles players in there as the shark to keep keep all the fish swimming fast. Sure. But I'll put them together in groups of four. And so uh, what we'll do is we'll have A and B play C and D, a 10-point tiebreaker. And then, so, and then A and C and B and D, and then the third permutation. And then I get all those scores again, and I'm going to go, all right, you know, so-and-so got um, 23 points, you know, and then the next person got 22, and then this one got 19, and that one got 17. All right, so whoever got 17 is going down to the next group. The, the big winner from the other group is going to come up and join the, that four, and we'll do it all over again. And, and the cream rises to the top. But then, but then you also start to see, okay, these two really creamed those two. So what is it about these two? I mean, is do they have, I, and so I'll interview them afterwards. I'm like, wow, you guys really annihilated those guys. Do you feel pretty comfortable together? You know, and then yeah. I, then they, they report back to me how they're feeling. Cause if one of them kind of looks at me funny, like I don't want this guy as my partner, Sure. then I'm not going to keep them together because I don't want that awkward, I don't want that weirdness, you know. Right, and sometimes right. sometimes they're surprised because either they don't know each other or they're not friends or whatever. I'm like, hey, you know, you don't have to be friends to be a great doubles team. So, sure. Sure. Uh, in fact, maybe it's better because then you're less prone to goof off. So, uh, so you find these matchups, you know, you find, and then it's like, okay, good. I'm going to, I want to try to keep that team together. So I will, when I get another team like that, then I'll have them play a challenge match and see where they stack up. Right. Right. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, we, we do a thing here in a lot of our drill sessions. It's not, we don't call it the biggest loser or whatever, but basically we do that with singles or doubles. And like you said, when you get two kids that all of a sudden that are just moderate players, but they play well together and they move well together. Yeah. It shows up big against two singles players. Absolutely. I, 
That is part number one of the interview with Bill Patton. Bill, as I said before, is the author of The Art of Coaching High School Tennis. It is available on Amazon.com. You may also go to smile.amazon.com to help out Bike Friendly ATL as your nonprofit. Uh, please share this podcast with any of your friends or family that might be involved with high school tennis. Uh, the next two parts uh, will be hopefully uh, out within the next couple of days. I'll put one out maybe on Monday and another one out on Wednesday. That'll be all three parts. And then I will also put uh, a video of the interview up on our YouTube channel, which is at Bike Friendly ATL uh, on YouTube. Um, you'll be able to see all that, but it is about an hour long interview. Uh, Bill did a great job. Uh, you have any questions, you may email us here at bikes, burpees, backhands, uh, three words, no spaces in between at gmail.com. And to get in touch with Bill, uh, his email is bill.patton at tennis, that's T-E-N-N-U-S dot life. We appreciate you all uh, hanging in here for the first part of the Bill Patton interview on bikes, burpees, and backhands. And we hope to see you soon. Please share this with your friends and wishing you all a good night.